0: Well, it's good to have you all here. If you're newer with us, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. And I would invite you to turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 20. And uh, if you don't have a Bible of your own, you'll see there's one in the pew rack in the front of you that you can use or in the East Auditorium. There's some folks walking around, some Bibles you can use. And in either room, if you don't have a Bible uh, of your own, please take that uh, so that you will have one of your own uh, to use between the Sundays here. So um, as you turn there, um, it's interesting that Each year, we progress in time and history uh, with new words that represent new experiences that didn't exist maybe just a few years prior. And so uh, as I was looking at some of these new English vocabulary words that didn't exist uh, just a few years ago, I thought I would share some of those with you uh, here this morning. And just to make it a little more fun, I thought rather than me just tell you the word and the definition, uh, I want to give you the word and then just have a little more fun in your head. See if you can discover or discern what that word might mean before I... I tip my hand and give it away. And so here's some new words to the English language over the last few years. First word phonesia. Phonesia. What do you think phonesia might mean? Yeah. I, I kind of can see. It's kind of what I thought too. That the, you know, it's the you know, you just use your phone and you set it down and you immediately forget where you'd put it, um, which which would be good. But it actually, the the actual definition is even better. This is a definition of Phonesia. It is quote the act of dialing a phone number and forgetting who you are calling just as the person answers. <laughs> Have you been there? Hello, uh, who is this? Uh, I don't know. You called me. It's like. You can use this. You can be like, sorry, just a bad case of phonesia. Can, can you help me out here? Uh, as who I just called. All right. Uh, another one. Disconfect. Disconfect. A little hint. This is something that might be helpful to uh, kiddos come Halloween time. If they get in all the excitement, drop a piece of candy on the ground. They can, no problem, just disconfect it. Disconfect. It is the attempt to sterilize a piece of candy that has been dropped on the ground by blowing on it. formerly known as the 5 second rule. <laughs> How about this one? Blame storming. Blame storming. Obviously a play on the word brainstorming where you kind of work together to come up with solutions, blame storming from the corporate world it is the opposite. It is when we quote it's sitting in a group and discussing who's responsible for the company's problems rather than trying to solve them. So that was pretty good. No one's laughing. I guess that's what happens. Maybe a little too close to home for you, I don't know. All right, one more, Uh, intoxication, intoxication. Intoxication is the euphoria of getting a tax refund until you realize it was your money to begin with. (laughs) Think about it. And so these are new words with new meanings that that grab our attention because of their newness. For the most part, when it comes to the words in our language, familiar words with familiar meanings, we don't tend to give them much thought, we overlook them, we don't give them any attention because we just assume and move through life as if we know what they already mean because they've been around for a long time. And I would say that is certainly the case with our word today. Uh, You could say the word of the day, that it's a word uh, that you've heard a lot and particularly if you've been around church circles, for any length of time. It's a word that we're all familiar with, uh, and that is the word grace. Grace, it is a very popular church word. And if I had to boil down a definition for you today that if, what, what is grace, we talk a lot about it, we sing a lot about it, you could simply define grace in any context as getting a gift that you don't deserve. Grace is getting a gift, receiving a gift that you do not deserve. And when it comes to this context, the context of uh, those who, for the most part here, follow Jesus Christ, have received the grace of Jesus Christ, this is what this looks like. It says in Scripture, in the book of Romans, that we have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the perfection of the glory of God. And the implications of that sin, it says, is death. The wages, the reality of sin is death, which is eternal separation from God, uh, both here on the planet and for all of eternity in hell. But the good news of that verse continues, but the gift or the grace, the free gift we don't deserve, the grace of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And this is all made possible by Romans 5.8, what it says, that God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, going back to that definition, while we were all undeserving, none of us deserving, Christ, who did not deserve death, who lived a perfect life, who had never sinned, Christ died for us, giving us grace, giving us the gift of forgiveness and the gift of a new life, both here on earth, led by him, that lasts eternally. And so that is grace, that is grace defined in our context here. And the reality is, again, if you've been around church, you, you've heard this, you know this, you've probably accepted this in your life. But may we never glaze over at the sound of it. May we never become too familiar with the sound of grace. Philip Yancey in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace? He says grace, uh, the word grace, it's the, he calls it the last best word. It's like the last best word there is that, uh, meaning, you know, let's not ever let this word fall on deaf ears or hard hearts. And so this morning, our invitation, an invitation to you is to rediscover that word grace. Today with, you could say, fresh eyes as we read this passage that we're going to look at, fresh ears as we hear the word of God spoken, and most importantly, a fresh heart for what God has to teach us about his grace. You know, it's interesting, when we look at the word grace in the Bible throughout, uh, particularly the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, uh, who penned the book of Romans that we just looked at and really about half of the New Testament with his letters to various churches, he uses the word grace 85 times times. 85 times he uses the word of grace in his writings. But do you know how many times Jesus uses the word grace? Jesus uses the word grace 0 times. Which I did not know that until this week. Jesus actually, at least as we have it recorded in the scriptures, never uses the word grace. Philippians again, he says it this way. He says, "Grace it can be dissected as a frog But the thing dies in the process. And so what we see in Jesus' ministry, and specifically in his teaching in Matthew 20 that we're going to look at, that rather than define and dissect grace, Jesus, instead, he chooses, you could say, to reveal and to convey grace so that we might, in a fresh way, experience grace in our own lives. And so Jesus, while never using the word grace, we see so powerfully conveys it in his story or the parable of the workers in the vineyard. And so I invite you to to hear that story or follow that story in your Bible there with me in Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse one. Jesus gives us this parable, this story about the kingdom of heaven. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. And so they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out yet again and still found others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last one hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a full denarius. So when those who came who were hired first, well, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired the last worked only one hour, they said. They've only worked one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? And so the first, excuse me, the last will be first. And the first will be last. And so we see in this story that Jesus, while never using the word, conveys this is a story about grace. It's a story about grace. It's a story about those in the story getting a gift that they did not earn, getting a gift that they do not deserve. And as we read this, as Jesus likes to do, he starts off the story innocently enough. It's really no surprise, you know, it's uh, just a landowner who's hiring some day laborers to work his field, and he hires, you know, the crack of dawn. he's getting some go-getters who are out there ready to go to do a, a day's work for a day's wage. Um, but from there, the story serves up one grace surprise after another. We see the first surprise come in verses three through seven where after doing what anyone would typically do in that setting, hiring someone at the beginning of the day to work the day, we see that the landowner goes out and uh, gives opportunity to more at 9 a.m., then at noon, then at 3 p.m., and then it says at five in the afternoon, he went out yet again and still found others standing around. And he offers them that opportunity. You also go work in my, in my vineyard. And so here's, here's the point of this area of the text here. Jesus is revealing that when it comes to the gift that we do not deserve, this idea of grace, that when it comes to grace, it is never too late. That Jesus' first grace gift in this story is to understand that receiving his grace, to be able to do that, it is never too late to receive the grace of God. Did I get an amen for that? Yeah. I'll take it. Over the last few years, our church has been involved with uh, now totaling over 30 churches in our community who have worked together to put sermon series together uh, with the entire intent being an opportunity for those who are otherwise not involved in the life of a church to come and check out the church and Jesus and everything he's about uh, You might recall if you've been in the community for even a couple of years The first uh, year, two years ago, was Room for Doubt You saw those yard signs go out And then last year was Find Your Way Back to God And now this year with the Tell Me More series And uh, last year when we did the um, uh, Find Your Way Back to God series we had, a, we had a gentleman who took us up on an invitation from our community uh, A man by the name of Arthur And uh, he came uh, at the age of 89 on a Sunday morning Who had not been in church for decades Uh, He had just recently lost his wife of 70 years a few months prior and was having trouble sleeping at night. And uh, so he visited us on a Sunday morning where he heard uh, the good news of Jesus Christ through the story of the prodigal son. So he heard that on a Sunday morning. He called our church office on a Monday morning. And then Tuesday morning, he and I had the opportunity to meet on uh, one of those little leather benches that are just outside the West Auditorium here in front of the office there. And as we sat down and I listened to a story, um, he shared that um, the, the struggle about losing his wife and not being able to sleep at night and he gave it with just tears welling up in his eyes he just said all I want is to make sure that I am right with the Lord. I wanna make sure that I'm right with the Lord. And so we talked about what it meant for him to be forgiven of all of the sin that we've all committed in our lives and he received Jesus Christ as his savior and to follow him uh, as Lord for the rest of the days of his life. And uh, I'm encouraged that as I I get to talk to Arthur every so often and he's actually, he's from a little bit north of here so he's involved uh, regularly in a church up there and he tells me now he's sleeping well at night um, since that time and uh, it's interesting as I think about Arthur's story at age 89, now 90, that when it comes to the clock, when it comes to the biological clock, I would not mark Arthur uh, on one who uh, received Jesus Christ or took Jesus up on his offer at the crack of dawn, 9 a.m., probably not noon or three, but when it comes to the life cycle of life, I don't know how many more years Arthur has on this side of eternity before his eternal life with Jesus, but I guess I would have to say that it would somewhere be around that five o'clock hour. And I'm so thankful that our God is a God who in his generous grace says, verse seven, even at the five o'clock hour, you also come and work in my vineyard, be a part of my vineyard, because it's never too late to receive the grace of God. There's a song you might be familiar with. It's by Alan Jackson and Jimmy Buffett. It's called, It's Five O'Clock Somewhere. And if you're unfamiliar, the idea is, uh, I think the lyric goes, it might be 2 p.m. in the afternoon at the office, but hey, I'm getting on a boat and I'm grabbing a beverage because it's five o'clock somewhere, some time zone somewhere. And so kind of borrowing from that and tweaking it just a little, um, (laughs) I am thankful That our God is a God who recognizes that in the life cycle of life, it's, you know, it's five o'clock somewhere. And I'm thankful to be part of a church that recognizes that, yes, in someone's life, it's five o'clock somewhere. That somewhere in our community, there are folks who for decades have just put off, maybe been hurt maybe rejected the idea or, or just ignored jesus all not hurt by jesus but maybe hurt by the church um and that in their life it might be pushing noon three even five o'clock pm but that jesus christ in his generous grace says it's never too late it's never too late to receive the grace of god that even though it's five o'clock somewhere you can still come and be a part of my vineyard and so The question for us then, as we apply the story, those of us who are, for the most part, a part of the vineyard, uh, who in our sphere of influence represent verse 6, who are, quote, still standing around? Who in your life maybe have you written off as they would never, or I've tried, or it's too late, or whatever the case may be, whatever 5 o'clock you've attributed maybe in them in your sphere of influence and recognizing from the grace of Jesus Christ represented in this story that it's not too late for them either. Might I encourage you again, just as we experienced in our last two years of our series together, that in this Tell Me More series, that's what this series is all about. Yes, it'll be an encouragement to tough questions about life and faith for those of us who are in the church, but it is primarily designed to be an opportunity for you to invite those who are outside of the church to get responses to tough questions they have about those of us inside the church. For example, what happens after that five o'clock hour or shortly thereafter? What happens after I die? And so we're going to talk about that on the very first week, and we'll talk about a light topic to bring someone to church. But they can hear the hope and the truth and the grace of Jesus Christ that it's never too late and it's not too late for them, that our hope is that your friend, your coworker, your neighbor, um, whoever that person in sphere of influence who's still standing around waiting to hear responses would hear the truth that Jesus Christ is awaiting them for grace both in this life and for all of eternity. Other questions will tackle uh, difficult topics like why, uh, why is there evil in the world and, and why do bad people do bad things and, and what, what's that all about? And uh, another tough one is, you know, if Christians are supposed to be the good in the world, why can Christians be such hypocrites? And so difficult questions that we want to, again, help those who are still standing around, represented in verse 6, to get a response. And as we plant and water seed, trust that it's God that's going to grow. And so I'd invite you to plant and water. That's what Paul and Apollos says. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but in all of it, we're nothing. It's only God that grows. But we've got to make sure that we're being about the planting and the watering of seed that God's called us to with those people standing around in our lives. And so I want to invite you first and foremost, because it's only God that grows, to invite every single one of us to be in prayer for this series, Uh, and to help you do that in your program, there's a a little uh, fold-out card here that's a prayer guide that can get you committing on a regular basis to prayer leading up to the series, as well as weekly prayers that represent each week of the series that we can pray throughout it. Also on Tuesday night, really cool opportunity. You know, it's neat, all these churches come together to uh, work together to put this series on, but then we, after after we work together, we kinda all go our separate ways and do our own thing in our own churches, and uh, what's cool about what's gonna happen on Tuesday night is that all the churches are coming together for prayer. At 7 o'clock, 7 to 8, just an hour, uh, out at Grace United Methodist, just up the road here, uh, the churches are going to gather to pray for our community and to pray for this series. And so if you're available and you want to come join us in prayer, we'd love to have you there on Tuesday night. Um, also, more specifically for you, be praying about, okay, God, this is an a unique opportunity that's very unique to our community and our church that we can invite people to go to our church or any church or that's that's part of this and so be praying about who god might be asking you to ask to join you at church and you've got all the backup you've got you know you've seen the yard signs around and you can you just follow up with that and again most importantly i would say if we're going to be a people of prayer, you know, Paul says, I think it's in Philippians, to be uh, to, to pray without ceasing. Or maybe it's Thessalonians. It's in the Bible. To pray without ceasing, to never stop praying. And so may we, even we're not just saying dear God and amen, recognize that our whole life is an opportunity of prayer. To be interacting with God's Holy Spirit and him with us. To us obey promptings of the Holy Spirit in our sphere of opportunity to offer those seed planting, seed watering and invitation opportunities. Okay, I'm done ranting about that, but it's a great opportunity that's starting in a few weeks that um, again, it's going to take all of us obeying God's Holy Spirit to extend those seeds of planting and seeds of watering that we want to make happen, okay? Because it's never too late. This side of the grave, it's never too late to receive the grace of God. And so that's the good news. From there, we recognize it's never too late to receive the grace of God. But what is that grace? Verse 8 through 12 shows us that that grace, interestingly, is actually unfair. That when it comes to God's grace, that it's never too late to receive, God's grace is unfair, but it's unfair in our favor. It's unfair in our favor. Verse 8 again. It says, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. That would have been the equivalent of a full day's wage. Uh, You could even say if that's minimum wage at a full day, it comes out to right around $100. And so they received for less than an hour's worth of work, $100, a generous gift that they did not deserve But in response, when those who came were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a full day's page, a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble. They began to grumble against the landowner landowner saying, hey, those who are hired that only worked an hour. You have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. And so they're complaining that it's not fair. It's interesting. I try to think of what would be a modern day equivalent of something like this going down in our own worlds. And um, I'm not from the Midwest, I've been here now for the last 13 years, and so I've never uh, done this, but I understand many of you who've grown up in farm country that to uh, make a few bucks in the hot summer days when you're not in school, you would uh, be hired out to detassel corn. Anyone ever detassel corn in here? Okay, a few hands, okay, and if you haven't, you live in Illinois, so you know what that is. Um, but I just thought about that. Just imagine, like, you know, as a young man or a young woman, you're out there, you know, crack a on, 5 a.m., busting it, detasseling corn, and then, say, 12 hours later, about 5 p.m., one of your buddies shows up, and they get hired on. It's like, okay, whatever, and they detassel some corn. And then at the end of the day, uh, the farmer gathers you around, and your buddy that was hired at the last part of the day hands them a full day's wage. You'd be like, you'd be thinking what these guys are thinking. That's amazing. That's really generous. I can't wait to see what he's going to give me. Only to discover that you receive the exact same thing. Which you would have been perfectly fine with had you not witnessed that they had just received the same thing that you received. All of a sudden now it's not fair. And, and honestly, it, it it probably isn't fair. It's kind of ridiculous. In fact, I someone asked me on Friday and I said, So what are you preaching on this weekend? I said, Oh, the parable of the workers in the vineyard. And she's like, I hate that story. Because it's unfair, or it seems, and please catch, that's the point. (laughs) If the end of the story, everyone gets paid what was supposed to, I mean, there really wouldn't be a whole lot to tell in the Bible. I mean, the reason Jesus tells us this story is that point entirely, that it is completely unfair. That is the entire goal of us to understand in the story of Jesus, that God, in his ridiculous unfairness, it's unfair toward us in our favor, in his generosity, his grace gift. To which Jesus responds, verse 13, he says, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give to the one who was hired the last, the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or, this is tough, are you envious? Because I am generous. And so kind of pulling out of the parable of this idea of like, you know, a day's work and day's labor. I mean, obviously that wouldn't work in, you know, a a general economic setting. But the point of Jesus' story is to recognize that when it comes to God's grace, getting a gift that we don't deserve, please understand, none of us deserve God's grace. Whether you've been hard at it since 5 a.m., since you came out of the womb, if you say, or you're coming at it at 5 p.m., whether you've been following Jesus since you were nine or 90, none of us deserve the grace of God. That's the point. It is a gift from God. And then once we receive that grace to understand that we are saved and forgiven by grace, we also recognize that it's not from there that we then have some sort of burden that we have to be in Jesus' vineyard. We're a part of his work. No, that's, that's to miss the point entirely. It's not a burden to be part of Jesus' kingdom. It is a privilege. It too actually is a grace. It is a gift to not just be saved by grace, but beyond that, and this is our third point, that we get to live by grace. This is so important. We are not only saved by grace. We know that, but we are also in, we also are afforded the gift to live by grace, to live in grace. Um, that it's something that doesn't just get us to heaven someday, but it's something that plays out in our life now as part of God's vineyard. We might be able to understand living by grace this way. Um, Some of you might be familiar with the show, it's a game show, are you smarter than a fifth grader? Yes, yeah, okay. Um, Let me assure you, when it comes to me, I am not. I am not. I am not smarter than a fifth grader. We just graduated our oldest from fifth grade to sixth grade. I know it's sad, it is sad. Um, I'm not smarter than a fifth grader. And so our sixth grader, uh, since about fifth grade actually, has been coming home with math homework that when she comes home with the homework, I hide. I go and hide. I mean, this stuff, you know, I used to think I could do this, but it's like, I don't know if you all know, like, the common core thing. It used to be like, here's a math problem. Here's how you do it. But now to, like, grow our brains, it's like, here's a math problem. Find 117 different ways to solve this math problem. Uh, And so it's, it's very challenging. But thankfully, I have kids in the house who are younger than fifth grade that I'm still smarter than some third and fourth graders. And so when that math homework shows up, dear old dad can still lend a little bit of a hand. And so our son Camden, he came home last year with some math homework that had the, uh, you know, like the greater than, less than sign, you know, that, you know, if you got like an eight and a four, the eight is greater than the four. And so now in fairness, these ones are a little more tricky. They're a little more challenging. They would put like two different, they'd do fractions with two different denominators or one side would be a fraction and, and one side would be a decimal and you'd have to do some, some math to figure it out. So here's a couple to see how sharp you are, are here today, just to kind of get in the mood of math as school starts. So three fifths and four sevenths, okay? Can you figure out which one is greater? Okay? If you, if you want to participate, just give your big alligator arm, whichever way you think it is. Okay? You know which it is? Let's see. Who said 3 fifths? 3 fifths, that's right, because 35 is the common denominator. You multiply it out and you got 21 and 20. Right, okay. All right, yeah. You get it. Okay. All right, one more, one more. This is another one 4 sevenths or 0.56. Yeah, tough stuff, okay? So you gotta do some math. You gotta four divided by seven, right? Which gives you 0.57. So four sevenths is greater there, okay? Maybe we're not smarter than third graders. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So here's the point. You know, these can be tricky. These are a little greater than, less than, all that stuff. But I, th- I think when it comes to this topic of grace and the living of our lives, I think this too can be a tricky one because we know if we've grown up in church, if we accepted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, grace is greater than our sin eternally. We're forgiven, and that's good news. But grace, is it really greater than like the actual living of my life? Is it greater than the sin and the sin's effects and the and the trouble that comes with Is it really greater? Does it really show up above and stand out and make a difference in the living of my life, say on a Tuesday? We'll be encouraged that when it comes to sin and the effects of sin of living in a fallen world, Romans 5, verse 15 says this. one of my favorite verses. It says this, but even greater, even greater than all our sin, all the results of our fallen world, all of our past, everything we can put together, even greater than this is God's wonderful grace and the gift, his gift of forgiveness to many through Jesus Christ. And so in this equation of life, we must always sink our claws into the reality that grace is not just what saves us in heaven someday, but grace is also what carries us in the living of our lives. Um, That if we were to maybe put numbers to it, that if you were to say, in my life, if you were to say, is grace greater than? Um, Is grace greater than? say on a scale from one to ten ten being like awesome life is great and one being you know obviously the lowest well life is not good that you would say on a scale from one to ten life for me right now is at a, a zero life for me is at a zero know this god's grace is greater than your zeros god's grace is greater than your zeros came across a story this past week um, about a man, we'll, we'll call him George. Uh, George had, uh, after dabbling in pornography, had progressed on to high-priced escort services, and as a result, he blew up his life, losing his job, losing his family, uh, and he, he was at bottom, he was at zero. He was, it, it might not have been five o'clock on the biological clock, but as far as his life was concerned, it was five o'clock, life was over. But in the midst of that, he, borrowing from some of the words of the prodigal son story, he came to his senses. And he found himself in a church where he gave his life to Christ. And so George, he was brand new, completely new to a relationship with God, completely new to church, completely new to this idea of grace. And he shared with the pastor of that church uh, following a weekend service. He said, um, came up to him and he said, Pastor, I I have this, he had this piece of paper he'd been carrying around in his pocket and he pulled it out and he said, Pastor, I came across one of the most beautiful poems I've ever read. You've, You've probably never heard it before, but I just want to read it to you. It goes like this. And the pastor recalls with, said, tears of joy and tears of relief coming down his face, he read these words Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now. I see. Most of us have heard that song a thousand times, probably sung it at least half that many. But it's amazing what that word takes on when we see it was the invitation at the beginning to see that word and to understand the reality and implications of it through fresh eyes, fresh ears, and through George's fresh heart. And so may you borrow from George that Whatever your sin, whatever your past, whatever bridge you've burned here on earth that our Father in heaven is giving us and giving you a free gift of grace that applies in the living of your life. Uh, Last night I kind of stopped the point there, but I realized, you know, what what does that mean? How does that look like? And um, this morning as I was doing my my quiet time deal with my readings, uh, I was in Psalm 27 and Psalm 28 and it just jumped out as, okay, you want to know what it looks like not just to be saved by grace, but to live by grace? Here it is. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That's not someday somewhere, that's right now, the land of the living right here. So wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. He's at work. To you, Lord, I call, you are my rock. Hear my cry for mercy as I call to you for help, as I lift up my hands towards you, your most holy place. And praise be to the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my shield. My heart trusts in him, and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy, and with my song I praise him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is a fortress of salvation for his anointed one. Save your people and bless your inheritance, and be our shepherd be our shepherd, our grace in the living of our lives, and carry us forever. That is just one passage of thousands that remind us of the way in which grace plays out, not just someday somewhere, but right here in the living of our lives. And so be encouraged that whatever your zero, whether live and in play now or in your past, God's grace is greater than your zeros. But also know this, That if today you're like, okay, sorry for this year. If you're honest with you, you're like, honestly, things are really good right now. If I were to go a one to 10, life is a 10. Well, by all means, be thankful. Be thankful for the gracious and blessed season that you're in right now. But also, we see in this parable, be careful. Be careful because grace, Jesus cautions us, is also greater than our 10s. God's grace is also greater than our 10s. God is greater than our success. And really, if you want to know the point of this story in the context in which we find it, that we've been working our way through Matthew for several months, that we're in a section in Matthew where Jesus has been up against the religious leaders who are living out their understanding of faith in this self-elite, self-righteous, pride-filled version of religion that Jesus is constantly calling them out, challenging them. He's taking their religious pride, their tens that they're all at, and he's turning it on their head with this statement, verse 16, and he's saying, You you Pharisees, you better watch yourself because, verse 16, the last will be first. And those who think they're first will be last. And so for us today, it's a warning to kind of contemporize this a bit. It's it's a warning for us who would say, Hey, I'm a ten. I've got this, I've got life, I've got faith, I've got it figured out. It's a warning to those who say, I've been up and at 'em since five AM, that we or you, that one would not dare look down on those who are not, say, at a 10, who we think maybe are more deserving because they're on that five o'clock hour, rather because of, you know, maybe time duration on the biological clock or our assessment of their sin debt that they've accrued, and that we, in turn, never would think of ourselves more deserving because we started at 5 a.m., because of our, understood of our righteousness, which is nothing compared to, again, Jesus' forgiveness and where we are at in the biological clock of when we came on board because... God's grace is greater than our zeros, and he's greater than our tens, it's greater than our ones, it's greater than average. God's grace is greater than any number that we can attribute to our life circumstance on the other side of that equation. And so when it comes to us, who are now figuring out what does this mean to live in our lives, um, again, what Jesus teaches us, that rather than dissect the definition of grace, we might make sure that we step into experiencing grace in our own lives. And so really the way we're gonna close this sermon is I'm gonna invite you to end this sermon on your own. Um, and so the way you're gonna do that, you're gonna finish this. This sermon is incomplete until you complete it on your own. And so I want you to take out your program. I don't have a program, so I can't even participate. Uh, or if you have a phone, that works. A program or a phone, something you can write on or just kind of type something in. And on that, uh, back of your program with a pen or on your phone, just in the notes section or something, just write the word, grace and then go ahead and put that, that greater than sign next to it the grace is greater and then put a blank on the on the on the left side of that um you put a is it the yeah your left my right yeah put a blank on the other side of that and what is your maybe not so much your number but what is your circumstance what goes in that blank what is grace that you need to be reminded of is greater than in your life right now for you, it might be grace is greater than everything i faced in my life and that I've never received this gift of grace of the forgiveness of my sin and the gift of a new life, both here on earth and God's vineyard and for all of eternity. And maybe today's that day where you say, okay, I'm, I haven't been in, I've been checking it out. I don't need to wait to come to the, you know, tell me more series. It's today that I need to make that decision and to surrender my life to Jesus Christ, to be the Lord of my life and all of my eternity. Then you put that, you put all of my sin and that, be a new day. And we'll talk about that before you leave today. We'll catch you before you go. Maybe for you, it is, maybe it's that, you know, hey, I'm an 11 on a scale from one to 10. And you know, you need to be careful. Things have been great, but you need to stay humble. You need to stay grateful. and You need to stay a good steward of the blessings of the season of life that you're in. Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, that you uh, who've been given much, much is required. And so maybe that's what you need to recognize. Grace is greater than. But even if you're a 10 today, No one lives at 10 all the time. We all have seasons of zeros. We've had them, or maybe we're in right and right now. We have hurts, we have circumstances that all are part of our story. Be encouraged. Grace is greater than that too, whether it's in the past or in the present. Um, came across a book in my studies this past week by Kyle Eidelman. He's actually a teaching pastor um, at my wife's family's home church in Louisville, Kentucky. And he wrote a book called Grace is Greater. And uh, I was just looking through that and just the table of contents alone just struck me as just a list of things to, um, to wash over us of all the different areas in which grace in the living of our lives is greater than anything else we can put in that blank. And so In an effort to do what it says in Hebrews 4, to approach the throne of grace confidently, that we might receive mercy, hear this list for your life. And remember that whatever your zero or your past zero, know this, God's grace is greater. God's grace is greater. It is more forgiving than your guilt. God's grace is more beautiful than your brokenness. God's grace is more redemptive than your regrets. It is more healing than your hurts and wounds. It is more freeing than your bitterness. It is more prevailing than your vengeance. It is more reconciling than your resentment. God's grace is more peaceful than your disappointments. God's grace is more powerful than your weakness. And God's grace, there's always more hope. There's more hope, hope, more hopeful than your despair because God's grace is greater than anything that we can put in that blank. And so may we complete this sermon by completing it on our own prayerfully to the Lord that whatever it is, we lay it at the feet of His grace throne. Hebrews chapter 12 says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. Hebrews 12, 15, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. And so may we not leave having somehow missed the grace of God applied in our lives as the Holy Spirit's leading each of us. And so as we record that or capture that, however you want to symbolically put that out on paper for we afraid someone will see it or on your phone or whatever the case, may we not leave here having missed the grace of God, not just in this moment, but going forward in the living of our lives all the days of our life. So the worship team's going to sing a song of grace over us as we prayerfully submit grace uh, or this issue to grace, the grace of God. So let me pray for us in that. Father, we give you thanks today that the definition of the Christian faith is not marked by how much we get it right, but instead, even in the midst of us getting it wrong, your grace is greater. And so, Father, in this moment, whether for the first time in our life or the first time in a long time, we need to rededicate our lives for those who need to take that step of faith and say, okay, I'm going to submit. Commit my life to a way of grace, both eternally and in this life. God, would you move hearts that we would hear that word with fresh hearts to receive your everlasting grace in our lives? God, for those who are at a a ten or eleven, God, would you show us humility and a good steward of that which you have entrusted to us uh, to be good stewards um, to further your kingdom? And Father, for our zeros, who we all have, um, we ask for your healing, your touch, your grace to permeate that. In the name of Jesus, by his power, amen.